Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. If anybody ever wants to know what it means to be a spot better, yesterday was that spot. We talked at great length, 12, 13 minutes, I think, on yesterday's show about how Boston's seven-game, or game seven, actually they're both accurate, game seven win over Milwaukee had changed the betting market for game one against Miami in a way that sort of, it almost snowballed in value. Meaning, just to recap what we talked about on yesterday's podcast, and, and we try to break these games down every day. We, we break the games down. We look at pace. We all that stuff. And a lot of times I say, well, you know, a little bit this, a little bit that. And then every once in a while you get to a day where you're like, okay, no one remembers that game sevens take a lot out of a team. They have no time to prepare. They have to just roll in there and try their best. And that was what we talked about in yesterday's podcast, which was the Heat at minus two was a crazy value, given the rest advantage. And the fact that the under was still getting bet, even as the number was rolling downward, was also a great value. I talked about how, you know, the pace, inability to play the same level of defense when a team has tired legs, and Boston relies on that stuff. And we talked about a bunch with Miami wanting to actually play faster then they'd been kind of forced to more possessions in their home games against Philadelphia. They were trying to slow down Atlanta. They were attempting to be the slower team. They're back to being trying to be the faster team here. And it all panned out. The third quarter, Boston had nothing left in the tank. Halftime, they just they didn't come back with any energy at all. And that was that moment. So you get to these spot bets. And we talked about series price also on yesterday's pod. Uh, in terms of, look, the, you know, the Heat were the uh, underdog despite having home court advantage in this series. And now the Heat are at minus 140. So they went from being an underdog to being a favorite. Boston now went from being the favorite to being an underdog. So go ahead and grab both of those at an underdog price. And bammo, series price, you've locked in a win. Heat Celtics. All you needed was for Miami to win that first game, and your series bet, our series hedge target, has already worked out. And the Heat covered pretty easily. It went way over the mark. 225 soared over the mark. And that's going to set up a little bit of a bubble for the next game in this series tomorrow, which we'll talk about on tomorrow's podcast. As far as today goes, it's Mavs and Warriors. We're going to get into that right after this brief hello. Hello. See what I did there? This is Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Bespris. Sports Ethos, our benevolent overlords. I haven't referred to anybody as a benevolent overlord in a while. That was really, I like to call hoop ball that. But it's still the same. Still the same overlords over here. Sportsethos.com, at ethosfantasybk. I hope some of you guys have been going and following ethosfantasybb and Ethos Fantasy FB, I don't know how many of it is, handful per day. That's all I want. Go find those two Twitter accounts and follow them. Ethos Fantasy BB for baseball and Ethos Fantasy FB 
for football. You'll see the podcast coming out. Football's actually going to have a ton of content coming in the next month or two, coming down the pike with that one. Very exciting times here at Sports Ethos as we expand beyond basketball. Come on, that's like, that's probably the most exciting thing we've done here at Sports Ethos slash hoopball since we started. We were good at basketball from day one because Aaron Bruski was running the joint. And then to to now, I mean, this is this is very exciting stuff. So please do check those out. Go follow them. I'm telling you, I'm begging you. Begging you. Do it. I'm trying my hand at baseball. I'm still terrible at it. It doesn't matter. I get, Give me all the help in the world. I just... It's too much. Can't keep up with it. Not at the end of a basketball season. I'm just too gassed at that point. Uh, but that's because I'm in, what, 13, 14 basketball leagues and running a podcast, and this is everything I do. I need to get a life. Anywho, uh, Warriors, five and a half point favorites at home. Total of 214 and a half against Dallas. Uh, money's coming in relatively split on the total at 214 and a half. Warriors getting a little bit more of the cash on the side, but it's staying steady. That's a pretty... Uh, that number's pretty locked in. So this one you could consider playing in kind of a similar way to what we looked about with Miami and Boston yesterday. The problem, of course, is that Dallas did have an extra day to recover, and that's a big deal. They're still going to be a bit winded, and there's probably a little edge on the Warriors' side because of that, but Dallas had an extra day to prep, they had an extra day to rest, and their Game 7 against Phoenix was a laugher. I know Boston's Game 7 was a little bit of a laugher also, but... To have to bounce right back. And yeah, Boston pulled away in that game. They were just better right from the outset. But their guys played starters minutes in Game 7, despite getting eliminated. Phoenix didn't even really need to give their guys starters minutes. Chris Paul played 31 minutes in the last game of his year. Luka, 30. That game was a blot after one quarter. So there's a little bit of a different feel. And again, we talk about spot betting. This doesn't have the same impact as the Celtics-Bucks Game 7 did, as the quick turnaround did for the game yesterday. That was sort of our put-the-money-in-the-ATM moment, or get it out, or whatever. I don't know what the metaphor ought to be. That said, uh, the 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 team that is a little bit more fresh, which the Warriors would be for this one, it, they're probably going to be the team to dictate the pace. You have to be mentally and physically at full strength to dictate the pace in a playoff game, and it helps to be at home. Warriors have that. Although, again, as I talked about yesterday, I thought they'd probably be spending most of their time prepping for Phoenix. Regardless, they're going to run their stuff, and Dallas isn't going to have that much time to prepare for it. You saw the Mavs. They just got better. The longer the series went, they got better and better and better. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see that type of thing happen again. So just like with Celtics and Heat... I would actually push ever so slightly towards the over in this game. I know the Mavericks want to slow it down. Warriors want to open it up. The Dubs will have a little bit more success in controlling the pace. As far as the side goes, uh, five and a half is a pretty good size number. I I don't know. I mean, Luka could come out and go buck wild because they got the two days off. They had the easy game seven. I think I'd probably rather look at the total than the side in this one, but if I had to, again, I would fade the team that went seven games. I'm not going to. This isn't like yesterday's where I liked the heat, especially with the number coming down. There's a lot of love going Dallas's way. This is a lower number that on the side, at least, than we would have had had this line come out a week ago before everybody saw the Mavs win those last couple games, flip the script, 
these teams that came from behind to win their seven-game series in the last round, they are getting a boost. But, but the difference on this side, uh, Warriors are already a public team. So the Mavericks getting a boost probably just kind of levels that off. Whereas on the other side, the Celtics are actually more of a public team than the Heat. Celtics getting an extra boost actually tipped the scales even farther in the direction of the Heat being a value. I liked yesterday's stuff a lot more than I liked today's. Lean to the over. Beedy, beedy, beedy lean to the Warriors on the side. Almost nothing over there on the side in this ballgame. And then we'll talk about tomorrow. We'll get into the pace stuff a little bit because that total has come up for Celtics Heat. Line has come up for Celtics Heat. And we might now be able to bet into an overreaction to game one. It's a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. Overreactions. That is where so much, so much uh, betting money can be acquired. We do it during the regular season with our motivational angles. And we do it now in the playoffs because everybody's watching a couple of ball games, So it's all the room to overreact. We didn't see a ton of overreacting actually in the last round, which... Didn't, I mean, we only had, oh, what am I trying to think of? I think there's like a Dallas-Phoenix total bubble that we got to bet into one time. That was a more obvious one, but the rest of them were like, eh, it's probably within four or five points of number of possessions in the ballgame. So then you're just flipping a coin as to who's going to have a good shooting night. No thanks. No thanks. Series price remains the same here. Warriors-Mavs, since, you know, they haven't played a game yet. Dubs minus 200, Mavs plus 170. Again, actually, that's come down a tiny bit. Dubs at minus 200 is not insane here before game one. I think they're going to win this ball game. And then you'd be able to get a pretty good price on Dallas after that. At You know, if Dallas loses game one, that probably moves 40, 50 bucks. You might be able to get yourself a middle set up there. If Dallas loses the first two, then you definitely get yourself a middle. It's not as easy to play as the other one. Boston Miami was like, sometimes there's just a, something gets telegraphed and you can walk right through it. Okay, so starting today, over on the Ethos Fantasy BK side, the Fantasy Pass, they're dropping the uh, the first team review, which is the Houston Rockets. That drops today at some point, I think maybe a little bit later on today. So we're going to try to run in conjunction with them a little bit here on the podcast. It won't be a perfect match because they're running on weekends, but we've actually already done the Atlantic Division. So uh, if they get ahead of us, we'll catch up on those days when we'll talk about something else or we'll you know talk about a different team. But let's start our journey. This is a five weeks left. We did five teams already. Five weeks left. We're going to go through each team. That'll get us uh, pretty damn close to free agency, actually, by the time that's done. I do still want to do a Yahoo season in review, but, I mean, I'm going to need 10 minutes of a podcast just to rant about what a sleazy, sleazy move it is that Yahoo changed their pre-ranks this year after the season started. Ugh. I don't know when they did it, but I noticed it in eight, uh, late March. So at some point between opening night and late March, which is a very large window, but I know it wasn't right before the season started because, you know, seeing DeMar DeRozan in the teens, yeah, I mean, everybody knows they didn't have him in the teens in their pre-rank. His ADP was in the 40s and 50s. Sometimes later than that, he was getting drafted. Pre-rank in the teens? No. No. Come on, Yahoo. Stop it. So we'll start with the worst team in the NBA. 
and go from there. And that team was, by the way, the draft lottery happened yesterday. We don't really care much about that on this podcast, but it did happen. Congratulations to the Orlando Magic, who we will talk about very shortly here, since they were also one of the worst teams. Rockets, I believe, got third pick in the draft lotto. Seeing a lot of Kings at four stuff on my timeline. I happen to follow a lot of Kings people because, uh, well, Brewski covered them for a while, so then kind of got piped in with that group. And uh, honestly, I've already forgotten who um, who picks second. I don't care. This stuff, we'll worry about that when we get there. I know that that's listener fodder, and more people would probably check out the podcast if I did a show on like who might go top three, but uh, I'm not going to. I don't have to. It's my damn show. I'll do what I want. Rockets, team in review. Number of players coming off the uh, the books for Houston. Not a ton of them were impact guys, but a lot of things do go to zero. First of all, DJ Augustine is currently uh, apparently on contract for a veteran's minimum for next year, uh, even though he wasn't even on the Rockets at the end of the season. Dennis Schroeder is someone who is off the books and someone who was playing towards the end of the year. That was obviously post-trade deadline. Um, Daniel House was a rocket for large portions of this year. He got moved. Sekou Dumbuya, another guy that got cut. And his canner, I don't even know what the hell he's up to these days. Bruno Fernando, I think, actually was playing for the Rockets at the end of the season. He's off the books as well. Overall, the payroll is quite John Wall-centric. John uh, set to make $47 million. Eric Gordon who effectively now hits a a contract year. He has a team option for $21 million for the following season, but there's no way anybody on God's green earth has given that dude $21 million with as many games as he missed and really as the skills have deteriorated a bit. He's set to make $19.5 million this year, and he will be traded this season. Eric Gordon will, so just bank on that. Christian Wood is also in a contract year. He's making about $14 mil. Jalen Green, second year of his rookie contract. They got him for a while. David Nwaba has a year or two, depending on a team option. And then you got a bunch of other young guys alongside Jalen Green, Alperin Sengun, Usman Garuba, Josh Christopher. Uh, Garrison Matthews is still on a, a very cheap contract. Oh, they got him over from Washington. KPJ uh, next year, and then a qualifying offer the year after that, so he becomes a restricted free agent. Uh, KJ Martin has a couple seasons left. Jay Sean Tate, team option that I'm sure will be exercised for only $1.8 million for this coming year. So, what do we make of Houston? Well, if you look at this past season, things were not great. Christian Wood was the only Rocket inside the top 100. He was at 80. He was actually the only Rocket inside the top 160 on a per-game basis. Jay Sean Tate was at 161, which I know means that numerically I'm splitting hairs a little bit there. Kevin Porter Jr. at 170. He was actually in the 250 range. He finished the season with about three weeks where he was very, very good because everybody else was sitting out ball games. Uh, Christian Wood was sitting out games there. Dennis Schroeder missed a few. I think Jalen Green was playing at that point. Shengun was playing, but Eric Gordon was resting. So they they did finally in the last like two and a half weeks of the year, they did turn it over to the young guys. I wouldn't, you could not pay me enough to, to draft Christian Wood next year. He's also going to be on the block. I don't care who the Rockets get at three. I'm sure they're going to get a very good rookie, but they're not going to be a good team yet. They will probably 
still be tanking next year. Um, you can usually get a feel for teams that are ready to come out of the tank based on other things that they're doing. But look, the Rockets won 20 games this year. 20 and 62. That is exceptionally bad. That is exceptionally bad. They were one win away from not clearing the teens in an 82-game season. Yikes. There are, there, there are maybe three players in the NBA you could put on that team right now that would make them feel like they were competing for a play-in tournament spot. The play, last play-in spot went to the Spurs, who had 34 wins. There aren't many guys in the NBA you could put on the Rockets that would improve them by 15 wins, which is what they would have needed to get past the Spurs this year. 15 wins? So... If you add a good rookie to this team, I mean, let's say that they get the best rookie in the draft. What does that even, I mean, honestly, a lot of times rookies make teams worse, but let's say just for argument's sake that he does whatever, whoever ends up on Houston does make them a tiny bit better. Let's just say for argument's sake, what, three games, four, five, six. That's a lot, by the way. Six is a lot. Even if you did that, you're still talking one of the five worst teams in the NBA. Sorry, Rockets fans. We're, I'm just trying to be a pragmatist here. If they let John Wall play and brought in a good rookie, you're still probably talking about less than 10 wins. Probably way less. Probably more like five or six. But I've been trying to exaggerate the number of extra wins just to say, well, could we, in any insane universe, actually push them somewhere near the play-in tournament? And the answer is no. This team is another tank year away from trying to compete. And by all accounts, they are about exactly one tank year away from trying to compete because so much money comes off the book after this coming season. By all accounts, and let's assume here, which I think we can do so pretty safely, that Eric Gordon is not going to have his team option picked up by anyone no matter where he goes, for $21 million. So just assume that contract is done. He's an expiring contract. John Wall is an expiring contract. He's going to exercise his player option if he hasn't already. I don't think he has. Christian Wood is an expiring contract. Those three players, and Wood, by the way, is actually a pretty damn good value when you sort of stack them up against the other guys that I just mentioned. Gordon, nearly $20 million. Wood, 14 That's 34 mil. And John Wall, 47. $71 million of the Rockets' payroll evaporates after next season. You want to know how much they have on contract for next season right now? And it'll, it'll add because whoever they take in the first round is going to be getting like a 7 or $8 million rookie contract. So, fine. Pull 8 mil off of that number and say $63 million comes off the books. They're going to be sitting on a $49 million payroll if those three guys came off the books. Do you know how many players are on the books for the year after that? Two. K.J. Martin and Garrison Matthews, the only players on the Rockets who have guaranteed deals for two seasons from now. Now, of course, they will pick up Jalen Green's 
series of team options and then probably extend him. Same deal for Alper and Sengun. Those guys will very obviously still be on the team two seasons from now. But the 2023-2024 season, if you put Jalen Green on the books and you put Alper and Sengun on the books, which is between those two guys, about $13 million, they would have about $17 million on their payroll two years from now. Let's say they put KPJ on there. That's 22 mil. Restricted free agency, or maybe they sign him for a little more than that. Either way, 2023, not this coming season, but the following one, the Rockets are going to be in the market to bring in a bunch of free agents if they want to. I would say they probably do. And I would say that it's somewhere in that front office, they've got a year, a calendar year circled. Say, look, this is when it's all coming off. They're going to be trying to trade John Wall for other expiring contracts and picks, which is why I don't rule anything out with the Lakers. They're going to be moving Eric Gordon. Unquestionably, he'll be getting traded for picks of some kind at this point, at some point this year. I think Christian Wood probably gets moved also. That one's less set in stone, although you could probably get the best haul for him because his contract is the most reasonable, easiest to move among them. And of those three guys, probably the most impactful for a team that, you know, wants a big guy to go run and can actually move his feet a little bit because he's still young. I don't think all three of those guys get traded. It's just too hard to trade everybody. Orlando kind of pulled it off, but it's really hard to just trade everyone. But I'd say there's a pretty damn good probability that two guys get traded, and I would bet most of my savings that one of those three guys does get moved next year. Which one? I don't know. Eric Gordon, probably, maybe he's the most likely to get moved, and you don't have to wait necessarily for the trade deadline on that one. The other guys, maybe they just wait around. John Wall's probably going to be get told to sit again next year, unless he gets traded in the offseason, which I guess could happen. And then maybe you'd consider drafting him, but I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't now. So what does that mean for who's left over? Well, I'm not drafting Christian Wood, even though he was the only Rocket inside the top 100. I'm not drafting Eric Gordon. I'm not drafting John Wall, which <laughs> doesn't leave that many Rockets left. What I would suggest doing, though, is looking at the last 20 games of the year for Houston because it was a little bit of a different cross-section. KPJ was a top 60 player over that stretch when everybody else got rested. His percentages were still not good at 44 and 76%, but they were not kill-your-team brutal. Kevin Porter Jr., who I have loathed to compliment on this podcast and told you guys 150 times leading up to last year, basically every show of the offseason, I said, don't put Kevin Porter Jr. on your fantasy team. I don't have that same stance for next year. I actually think he's someone you might want to think about targeting for when all of these guys get moved. Now, there's a little bit of a stash element there. Can he keep up any of that good stuff at the beginning of next season if Christian Wood is being is allowed to play, if Eric Gordon is allowed to play? I don't think John Wall is touching the court, so we don't have to worry about that. Mm, no, probably not. But if there is this magical universe where suddenly he's now more in the 44 and 76% range, he's a late-round flyer, because no one is going to want to touch him after the last couple of years. I think people will finally kind of catch on that he's a massive downside guy, but if you can get him at like 115, 120, and say, well, look, look at all the things that could happen here. On the head-to-head -head side... 
he actually makes a ton of sense. A ton. Because then he sort of plays into proper form as your season goes on. Jalen Green's an obvious choice. He was very good down the stretch. Uh, He was number 87 over the last 20 games. He was number 62 over the last 10 games of the year. Want to see that free throw percent get better. He's getting to the line. He's hitting a ton of three-pointers. But again, they need Christian Wood to not really be playing. But Jalen Green's someone you can definitely draft. I don't know what the upside is there necessarily. I mean, he was taking close to 20 shots a game over that stretch and still sitting in the 60 range, mostly because the free throws. I mean, really, that's it. He's not going to get many steals. It's a lot of scoring in threes, a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists. We need free throw percent to get into the low 80s at least, and then you're talking about someone that you can reliably peg as a top 75 play. And then Alperen Sengun is the other question mark on this team because I'm not touching Jay Sean Tate. His free throw percent has been terrible, and I don't, you know, I don't think he's ever there's ever, there really isn't a world where he's going to step into usage. And kind of the same thing with KJ uh, Martin because a bunch of guys need to get moved in front of him as well. Like the, if if those guys couldn't do good stuff in the last ten games when a lot of the team was just chilling, it ain't happening. Alperen Sengun was just outside the top 100 over that stretch. Uh, with good percentages, but actually with his defensive stats slightly, and I think this was sample size related, kind of artificially depressed. Only .7 steals and .8 blocks over his last 10 ball games for a guy that had been much more in the 1-1 one and one or even higher range, we've thought, if playing 26-27 minutes a ball game. Going into next year, unfortunately, he does probably profile as Christian Wood's backup. So we're kind of back where we started with him, which is how long are we willing to wait on someone that has a chance to move into a better role? My answer is not that long. From a Roto side, he's not someone I would feel comfortable starting at the beginning of the year. Same deal with Kevin Porter Jr. The only player on the Rockets, maybe Christian Wood, maybe. So maybe the only two players on the Rockets I'd feel comfortable starting day one next year are probably Christian Wood and definitely Jalen Green because he's just going to keep getting more to do. He's the prized youngster. That's that's an easy call. KPJ is someone that I think plays into more stuff as the season goes. Now that, of course, is barring a trade of Eric Gordon before the season starts. The other thing we need to think about here is who comes back? In an Eric Gordon trade, not much. Mostly picks, probably a couple of, you know, feh, players, whatever. Uh, A John Wall trade, someone who's not playing right now, if they trade for, I mean, almost any combination of players to get you to 40-some-odd million dollars is going to have someone in there that demands some shots. So that's a trouble spot as well, and another reason to be a bit worried about Kevin Porter Jr. So Jalen Green, he's a rocket I would think about on opening day in a Roto League next year, and then if you're on the head-to-head side... That opens things up a little bit more. KPJ becomes a possibility on the head-to-head side. I know, I can't believe I'm saying it, but I mean, this is the this is the world of the overreaction. Everybody saw him have a couple big games for Houston two years ago. I said, don't draft him. Overreaction. Now he's been awful, and I can say, do consider drafting him. Don't overreact to the fact that he was terrible for most of this year. If they give him the keys in another tank season, that's a positive. So again, just to sort of rehash it, Roto side, Jalen Green, someone you could consider on draft night, 
Christian Wood, maybe. It'll depend heavily on where he's going because I do think that by partway through the year, he's not someone you're going to be able to trust. And he was back in the 80s. You know, his free throw percent was atrocious. Ugh. So he's a maybe. Sengun, probably not on the Roto side. KPJ, probably not on the Roto side. I mean, it does come down again to where you could get these guys. Sengun, probably going to get overdrafted. Porter might actually get underdrafted a little bit, so leave him hanging in the balance a little bit. And then both of those guys do get a bump for head-to-head because I think they'll play, and in head-to-head leagues, you you want guys that are in your lineup at the very least. And then you're talking improvement as the season goes. Shengun's going to get to do more as the season goes. Porter's going to probably get to do more. Just more shots. We need more usage, more volume for those guys, where I do believe Jalen Green will probably have enough right from the outset. I can't wait to see what the guys over at Sports Ethos come up with on the Rockets, because I think it'll be better than whatever you got here on the podcast. But thanks for listening, as always. I am Dan Vespers, and this was off-season show number 28. Yes, 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 yes. Almost to 30. We're getting there, little by little, mid-May. I remember when the first day of April came, and then the first day of May came, and I thought, how the hell did that happen? First day of June, two weeks from now. Oh, gosh, that's my birthday. Oh, no. Oh, heavens no. All right. Uh, Well, have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll break down Heat-Celtics game two tomorrow. Eastern Conference Finals. Enjoy Mavs dubs tonight. And our next team review also on tomorrow's podcast. Until then, 